From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's December 3rd, 2021. You're listening to the best PokerCast on the interwebs. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm playing strength and automobiles fan, super fan, Scott Long. <laughs> only fan. I think you got that wrong. Only fan. I corrected that, that for you. That is not true. You are the only one in the history of existence who did not like that movie. I promise you that. Oh, man. I think all of our fans now, all six of them, are going to come out of the woodwork now and prove you wrong, I think. they're going to come. I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think this is going to be a, a bad day in the history of Chris Casenza. Uh, when those emails, all two of them flood in, <laughs> you're going to be really embarrassed that uh, you did not laugh at uh, John Candy and Steve Martin in one of their pivotal roles. Uh, pivotal. Wow. Cinematic man. history, man. Yeah, you're really pulling out all the stops now, just like a train would make on a stupid show, movie. But. Ah, look at that! Well, let's people, stick with. People drink uh, out of stuff, though. <laughs> let's see. You're smarter now. You know that now. I watched it a little bit. I got most of it in, and I was like, I just can't finish this. So I took a picture or something, and then sent it to you on Facebook, and made fun of you. It was great. So I was. You didn't best... even get through it all, man. So you didn't get the good parts. I then. got. I got through like an hour and forty minutes of television of it too. So that was the other thing. It wasn't like. Uh, you know, so unedited. you can't watch it on TV. Yeah. So this is the funny, this is the kismet part of it, because it wasn't on on Thanksgiving, which shocked me, so I didn't get to watch it. And then you blasted it, and then, like, yesterday, I was flipping channels in the morning, and at 10 o'clock, it just happened to be starting <laughs> on AMC. And I watched it, and, like, the, the pivotal scene in it, the rental car fight with the Ferris Bueller secretary is so hilarious but it's all because it's full of F-bombs. Right. And they can't do it on AMC, right. and when they cut it all out, it was horrible. Yeah, that's how I watched it, too, is AMC. Yeah, so you probably missed some of the, uh, the you know, the best vulgarity stuff. and profanity has its place. Yeah, it's, it's not on our show, though. We uh, we hint at it once in a while, but we don't actually do it on the show. Pardon my pun. <laughs> All right, why don't you get us kicked off since we're not even going to get to poker until about 30 minutes into this show. Well, that's not, that's not true because I'm going to make this about poker at the end. So <laughs> last night, of course, I'm watching Survivor. and Spoiler alert if you haven't watched it yet. I had to get up early this morning, so he couldn't spoil it for me. Like two minutes into the show, I'm like, I already know this is going to be on our show tomorrow because Scott's going to want to bitch about something in here i know it but i wanted to bring it up because i feel like i can bring it all the way back to poker at the end of this so here's what happened at the show last night there's a contestant his name is deshaun and uh he had to face what's called the monty hall problem and and which by the way i'm going to interrupt real quickly yeah. just to say that xander is my choice to win now because that kid is like 23 and got the and he was the one that said monty hall yeah, yep. I've been picking for this kid Vincent for a Wayne while Brady ago. And hosting it for the last ten years, he went all the way back to the classics. I totally yeah. want Xander to win this, but uh, so yeah. So the Money Hall problem, for those of you who don't know, um, you know, it's, it's it, the actual problem that came up back in the, the day was, you know, they had the three doors like Money Hall, and you're told well, that there's a that. there's a car behind one of them, and then there's two goats behind the other. So. Uh, in this case, it was an image of fire was in one of these containers, and then images of skull, a skull, were in the other two. And so if Deshaun, this is the whole point of Scott gets mad, because this is a whole chance thing that came in, that if he got knocked out of his challenge, at the end, 
he'd have this chance to do this and survive without even having the with immunity, or he'd get knocked out and they wouldn't even be voted out. He'd be the only player in the history of the game to be removed removed from the game without actually being voted out, other than you know being sick or whatever. But um, so here we are. He takes the the three containers in front of him. He makes his choice. Then Jeff Probst. My choice, by the way, too. By you the chose way. that one. How would you even know which yeah. one to choose? I, I mean, it's part of the game. I'm like, if he's going to make turn Survivor into a game show, I'm going to play the game show, right? So um, I know, I, I think, but so it's just like at the pool park when you're trying to figure out which ball cap has the right, right. But you, we, it looks like we were watching Jeff mingle with some elevator music on in the background. But Jeff Probst then does his best Kevin Spacey impression and reveals the contents of one of the other containers, which of course is a skull. And turns to Deshaun and is like, okay, you can choose again now between the last two if you want. So that's when I thought, obviously, Deshaun never saw the movie 21. Because he would have heard of variable change. He would have heard that lecture that Ben gives. That he should have chosen the other one. Since he got another choice. Because it increases the odds that that one is 66% chance now the car. Or in this case, the flames. You know, the fire. But he stayed with his first choice, bucking math and bucking the TV show or the movie or whatever. And he was right. He survived. And it was like, I'm in bed. And as soon as it happens, I turn on Gina and go, this is a Monty Hall problem. And then that's when Xander says it. And she's like, what the hell is a Monty Hall problem? I said, I can't explain it now because I want to see what happens. It's very exciting. It's about explaining it when it's over, you know. And then uh, that's when Xander goes, it's the Monty Hall problem. It's the Monty Hall problem. And it was really wild uh, to see this happen in real time or whatever. And to know that this this guy didn't know that show, never saw that movie, didn't know this problem. He just stuck with what he wanted to, which is what you think most people would do anyway. Because they're thinking, oh, now it's 50-50. You know, I'm still sticking with mine. But you were supposed to, really supposed to, according to the laws of math and everything, you're supposed to change your pick. And he didn't. And he won. And he survived. And so I was going to let you rant about the whole chance thing, but I want to do the six degrees of poker here or six degrees of Scott Long with this and to get it back to poker. And I think I can do it. So um, we'll forget the whole, you know, one of our longtime listeners and fans, uh, Dave Bloomberg, you know, loves the show and that's how we connect to poker. No, and I'm not going to make it so that Scott likes to rant about this show and he's a publisher of a magazine. And no, I'm going to do it a cool way. All All right. right. So, Deshaun plays the Monty Hall problem. The Monty Hall problem is featured in the movie 21. Starring in the movie 21 is Kevin Spacey, based on the character, is based on Mr. M, or J.P. Masser, who played in Scott's World Series of Poker event, Shoe, in 2007. And he coached Robert Varconi, the 2003 World Series champion, who kicked or two, two? Who kicked off the whole? You know, amateurs can win the main event thing. So I did it. I took it from Deshaun to JP Master to you playing shoe at the World Series of this guy, and you didn't even know it. You didn't even know the guy was sitting to your left. Yeah, I could not have done that six degrees myself, and I was part of that. So that's <laughs> impressive. It's absolutely impressive. But you know, uh, we, we always talk about chance on the show, and you talk about how this shows. You know, it got so. Last night was just absolutely the shark jumping. I think. Wow, okay, well, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this because it's a poker show, um, and, and I do need to message uh, Dave Bloomberg to tell him that I'm <laughs> fascinated. I, I am in 
mass anticipation of uh, this week's uh, Why Blank Lost uh, podcast so they can talk <laughs> about this. Because, uh, well, first of all, I want to mention, uh, you could have said that I was on Left to Make a Deal. That would have been a nice touch. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You but did not. But you did I didn't... not think that. So you would do a harder route. So I give you even more credit. So Oh, my God. Uh, uh, and that I'm related to Kevin Bacon by six degrees. So <laughs> Uh, you, you, you definitely did around the mountain there instead of through it. So, um, but, um, I actually don't have a problem with this, this twist this time. Oh my God. Um, and it was a long week for survivor fans because we had all been teased that there was going to be a big twist and there are a lot of spoiler alerts out there that it was going to be the worst thing ever to happen on survivor. And I'm like, Oh my God, as bad as this, this season's been, I can't even imagine what it's going to be. And then when I watched it and they explained it, and I'm like, you know what? I'm not a fan of it, but I don't think it's a big deal because everybody had an opportunity to participate if they wanted to. And so there was a choice to participate or not. And you had to base it on Jeff kept talking about your place in the game. But I think it was also on how well you thought you could handle that little balance thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even after that, you still had opportunity. Uh, the, the person that ended up getting voted out Um had an opportunity to protect he or her, himself or herself. I'm not trying to spoil anything here. <laughs> um, with some of the other 97 twists that are thrown in the game. So I actually didn't have too much of a problem with it. All right. Well, that's good. I mean, like I said, if it's if it, if everyone has the opportunity, that's one thing. But, you know, when someone just randomly – because it's funny. I woke up this morning to, like, three stories in my news feed of people just absolutely saying, this is it. I'm done with Survivor, or this is ridiculous. And Survivor was good because people survived on their own merits. There weren't immunity idols like they introduced in 2013, you know, hidden ones. Or and so they, everyone was just ripping mad about this. Was like the final straw for a lot of people. It was just well, yeah. And, and here's a tie into poker as well too. We'll talk about a little bit of this a little bit more in the, later in the show too. You know, if you were a poker purist. You want to watch unadulterated poker on television, right? Yeah. You don't want the um, the, the the cut up forty four minute plus commercials, uh, ESPN thing, right? Right. Um, uh, or the WPT. They, they that all worked to make poker as big as it is because it brought in people who aren't poker purists, right? Right. So so there is a place for it. Not saying that, but if you're a poker purist, you just want to watch that eight hour long tournament without any cuts. And just watch it, right? Um, so, uh, and I think that's what the problem is this year. Is you've got survivor purists like like me, uh, Dave Bloomberg's co-host, who's fantastic, by the way, much smarter than Dave Bloomberg is. Who uh, <laughs> are just like we're not getting to see enough of the actual gameplay, and it comes a week after one of the best episodes ever. When they, it was all gameplay and people talking and and none of this carnival games and stuff, right? Um, so I, I think that's it. So you know, again, it, it's that proverbial who you're trying to appeal to in season forty-one: the people who have been with you forever and who are probably dwindling, um, or are you trying to reinvent some excitement to get more people in to keep the show going? So oh, this will get to, to and this will get to one of the items we're coming up the, after the next item. And sort of similar where mainstream poker and stuff like that. And do you want it anymore? Or do you want, so this is very similar to that argument. So we'll, we'll yeah, continue absolutely. with that in a minute. But, uh, I just thought it was interesting that the, the money hall problem came up and I always think of 21. I think of, you know, I just think of that movie as proving that 
there are games that they think are luck, but they're actually skill. And that's why poker and, and all that. And then, of course, that guy who started the whole, you know, MIT slash Harvard team or whatever, blackjack team, was at your table at the World Series. You didn't even know it. So it was a good opportunity to make fun of you one last time. Kim, if Spacey was at my table, I would have known. But, <laughs> uh, and, and so here's the thing. I haven't seen 21. I have no idea what you're talking about. So now I'm going to have to go research it, which is exciting. I'm going to learn something later today. So. Oh, man. That was a pretty good movie. It was pretty fun. Yeah, yeah you should yeah. watch it. All right, uh, as he often does, Danny Negreanu, who finished third in this year's World Series of Poker Player of the Year race, has detailed his financials from this year's series. Kid Poker cashed in 18 of the 55 events he entered, winning $1,451,797.68. Well, he wins cents, but anyhow. Uh, after deducting the $1,052,773, uh, well, I messed that up big time, <laughs> in buy-ins, that left him with a profit of 399000 $24.68, or a 37.9% return on investment, just slightly better than what you could do with crypto and Robinhood. Yeah. Uh, those photos, of course, don't include what he owed backers, uh, which he also detailed in his post, or any non-buying costs of playing tournaments such as food. So this oh. is very interesting because I, one of the things that it, when it first jumps at you as raw numbers, you think, holy cow, he committed a, a million point you know, 1.5 almost. 1.05, yep. right, to to entering events, but it's that's not really necessarily true. If he had success early on and won a four hundred thousand dollar payout, he may have said, Okay, now I'll enter five more events that sure. I wasn't you know. Yeah. So there's no real way to know how many you know, a lot of people have a budget and they say, Okay, we're gonna enter this, but if I win this, we'll enter more. You know, some people do that, some people don't have those stipulations on there. So there's no real way of doing it, but it's a fantastic return on his investment. You know, 38% for a month's work. You know, that's that's massive. I mean, just think about it. If there's 30 days in a month, you know, I mean, it's crazy how much his, his daily uh, income would have been. So um, pretty phenomenal. Um, but, you know, at the same time, it's scary to think that he paid a million dollars in buy-ins, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> crazy. Um, yeah, so a couple things here. I mean, he um, he made as much as the president of the United States makes in a year in uh, right. two months. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Um, to me, I mean, again, without doing the math, you know, until you see the thirty-seven point nine percent return on my, wow, that is a hard way of making an easy living. Which is what we've always said about being a pro now, right? Yeah. You know, my he had all the success, and he only staking home four hundred thousand, and that I think again, I think I believe that's before um, backers. Um, I'm like, that just doesn't seem worth it. I know. Um, now, yeah, obviously he's a pro, so he played 55 events or 80, I think 89 events. More if you counted the online ones, I think. Um, so that, that's a pretty healthy um, uh, schedule there. And I'm sure there was some uh, weekend warrior like us that flew out there and played one $500 buy an event and one, and who has a... Uh, a, a nauseating return on investment right right, right. they only played the one event and did really well in it so uh, but when this is your business i mean you have to play you may not have to play 55 events i think josh aria just posted his stuff too i think he played 37 events if i remember correctly somewhere in the 30s so and they grind to play a good 20 events more than he did um and still come up short of the player of the year race so uh and that and the other thing is just how exhausting that is yes I'm like, like, really, I don't think if, if people are listening have not played any World Series events, I don't think you realize how exhausting it is. Um, obviously, hopefully you make part of that than I did. <laughs> um, 
but even you know making it past the dinner break like you did it, it can be exhausting uh, but um especially if it's these two-day events though um and don't even get started on the main event which is super grueling um to even fathom playing 55 events and, and some of those he re-entered as well too so Yep, and to uh, play at the level that he plays at to earn that much money and to cash that many times too. Yeah. I mean, it's mentally exhausting. It's physically exhausting. It's it's boring too. I mean, who wants to keep going? It's just like working in a factory. You're going to the same place every day, doing the same thing straight every single day for a month or two months, or it's just crazy to think. I mean, I I I say this often. You know, I I don't I there's things I love to do, but I wouldn't want to do them around the clock. You know. I mean, it's just too much. It's too much for me. I, I, I don't know. And like you said, that's what he does for a living. So, but still, I would want to. I would want more breaks than people get when they commit well, to the World yeah, Series like and this. Also, remember, this is the busy season for poker players, so it's kind of like bad Santa, right? You know, Billy Bob Thornton has a uh, one month a year where he makes his money for the rest <laughs> of the year. He spends the, the rest of the time, you know, drinking beer. Um, so, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, I, I don't think any pro keeps up this kind of schedule year. Uh, year round, I, I think uh, I could be wrong, but I would imagine the ground is going to take some time off, and then he'll play some some of those manufactured TV high roller events and things like that, um, and then maybe a couple other series, but uh, but nothing at, at this this thing. So if you train yourself to, hey, for these two months, I'm going to eat, drink, sleep, COVID poker, <laughs> you're in a different different frame of mind. But I think it also shows the um, why every year you've got a couple players that just seem like they can't miss, like Aria this year. Um, because I think that one of the things I think it would certainly motivate me to get past that boredom is once you start accomplishing stuff, you want to continue. You feel like you can continue accomplishing it, right? Yeah. And yeah. certainly that was helping me with this year, right? You know, he desperately won that 17th bracelet after he got the 16th. And got so upset about coming so close and finishing, but I think that just fed him to be better every time and and focus on you know every decision has to be a good one because you know I, I need to be at that final table again. So yeah, just crazy. Just crazy. But I, I love it that somebody shares their info like this. I know he's always been sort of an open book anyway, um, but uh, it's just it, staggering the amount of uh, money he paid to be in these, the amount that he won, the amount that he profited. Just staggering. Good for him. Though. Yeah. All right, Earl Burton, writing on Poker News Daily, wonders whether, after watching this year's World Series of Poker, whether poker even wants to be considered quote-unquote mainstream anymore. To support his case, he used Poker Go's streaming rights for the series. Poker Go, obviously wanting to profit over, the, over those desirable streams, only offered the first hour of each stream free before, limiting, uh, before they became limited to subscribers. Burton said, while production was fantastic this year, shifting the TV broadcast partner from ESPN to CBS, which only aired recorded events, didn't inspire people to tune in when they likely already knew the winner. Burton suggests Poker Go considered airing some, uh, suggests that Poker Go considers airing some events in their entirety for non-subscribers and for CBS to broadcast its content on the main network, so viewers don't have to hunt for it deep in their cable or streaming lineups. So, so the headline of this, and you wrote the same headline they had on the actual column. Um, when they wrote it on the column, they capitalized the word WANTS in all caps, whereas yours is all caps here. So I couldn't tell yeah. if it was rhetorical or not. If you read it the way their headline is, does poker even want to be mainstream anymore? So he, I think it's rhetorical because obviously they want to be mainstream because they want more viewers and more money. And, and so he gave them a way to do that by saying, you know, let everyone see it, not just poker people who are rabid enough to spend for a, a stream. 
you know, let everyone see it so they can get hooked on it and get some, some money back into the system and earn the community or whatever. And I think that's what he's saying, right? And here's the way to do it. When I read it, I, plus he, my eyes started to glaze over when he went through the whole history of poker in there, which it didn't totally, if it's on, I realize you want to try to get common people or everyday people to watch it on TV, but I can assure you everyday people who don't play poker are not calling up poker news daily to read stuff. So you don't yes, need to yes, give yes, us the 45 paragraph chunk you know, yeah. of, of how the history of poker and how long it's been in the United States. That means nothing to anyone. I skipped over that by the time I... That's why I'm asking you all these questions, because yeah, yeah. I, I over glanced over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, I think his, his point is... He makes a couple good points. And like, once you... But again, this is the way broadcast and money have been going now, right? So, you know, if you want Sun- NFL Sunday ticket, you got to get DirecTV, right? right. Um, even right. though nobody wants DirecTV now. And I'm saying that as somebody who had DirecTV for 20 years before I finally got pissed off about it. Uh, but if you want to get it, that's what you have to do. Um, and same with PokerGo. So, if you, I mean, if you want to watch this stuff, you know, you're going to have to subscribe to it. I mean, it's hard to criticize them. That's their business model. I mean, I don't know exactly what the financial terms were, where I assume they're paying um, for the rights to it. And if that's the case, then uh, then they need to make that money back somehow. I mean, it's not a charity, right? So, um, so there's competing interest here, right? You've got a you've got a, a company's business interest. Um, and they believe they have a good product and they have a base of people that want to pay for it. Um, and then you have the Earl Burdens of the world that really want poker to blow up again, right? And it's never going to blow up again if no one can see it on TV or no one can see it on TV the way they want to see it. So, I mean, I, I see both sides of it. Um, uh, the CBS thing is, is to, I mean, I mean, obviously you lose a little cachet when you go from ESPN, which is a sports network. And, you know, we had that old debate in the past about whether poker is sport or not, but ESPN made it a sport, whether you agree with it or not. Uh, and now it moves to CBS. Now, that doesn't mean it's not still a sport because there's lots of sports on all these other networks. But um, it, you do lose a little cachet, I believe, from going from ESPN to CBS um, and certainly a lot less broadcast. And ESPN even had some of it live, I believe, if I'm correct, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So now, now it's gone to do, as he said, taped. And every time I saw anything from the series on TV, it was uh, because I was doing the updates for the show. Right? We were like updating event number forty-four, and I'm like, "Oh, there's poker. I'm going to watch it. Oh, it's event six. I know who won this." <laughs> That yeah. was like four, three weeks ago. And the other thing, too, is he was talking about how CBS put it on its sports network, and that's not even with most cable packages. You have to pay for at least two steps up from the basic to get CBS Sports Network, and sure. some of the some of the cable companies don't even carry it regardless of how much you pay for your cable. So you're already limiting your your audience, whereas ESPN is basically on every single cable network in the world. And you, you, so you, you screwed yourself that way. So if you're not going to, on top of it, show it for free somewhere – you know, you're hardly going to get people to watch this stuff anymore. And, you know, of course, it's the money. The minute online poker became regulated, they would get tons of money back into the money would just flow. And then they'd pay for all this advertising. Someone would come up with a show and they put it on TV because they don't care because they're getting the advertising. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of contributing factors. But he's right. You need to be able to watch. If you're going to call yourself the world championship, you know, and try to give that as, you know, hey, we're the biggest game in town. You need to let everybody watch it. Um, yeah. And so the other thing, too, is he's suggesting that there's a poker conglomerate out there. Like, poker is an actual company, right? Right. 
uh, poker is different for for everybody out there. So I mean, you know, what's good for one person is not good for the other. And you know, if we go back to when it exploded, I mean, and this is tying back in the Survivor thing, right? Right. Uh, what were the shows that really got people interested? Um, it was Poker Celebrity Showdown, right? It was some of these other really weird ones that, whatever that Poker Pro thing was, where they did all kinds of different, it seemed like games and stuff rather than just poker, the gimmicks, right? Right. Um, so you know, I mean, is that is that what poker, the unnamed conglomerate here, wants? Uh, you know, they, they want to get more people into the game by turning it into gimmicky or do they just want to be happy and um, reinforce the love of the game in front of the um, purist as we mentioned again so if that's the if, if that's where we are now I, i'm on board with it because i'm a purist and I, I don't think i need another boom here to make me enjoy the game more i would rather watch again good poker on tv than i would dennis rodman folding uh, <laughs> a set of aces after he just bluffed with six high. So <laughs> it's just, it was fun at the time, but I, I don't need to revisit that. And I don't know if that's really going to help poker anyhow. So man, how do you remember that? <laughs> I remember that not you said it, but how do you remember shit like that? Unbelievable. <laughs> There's a couple of things like that. I remember, I, mean, I can't remember much about that show, but I do remember Dennis Rodman being on there and just being a complete idiot. Yeah, me too. <laughs> not, not surprised. But... Okay. Any updates? <laughs> uh, Papes, the Antient fans free online tournament series on poker stars play money site is available everywhere. Details on how to join can be found at bit.ly slash P-A-I-P-S. Games are on the 6th, 16th, and 26th of every month and rotate disciplines with a main tournament followed by a second chance event. PokerStars lets you claim 15,000 free chips every four hours. Join the Antioch Fans Group Facebook page and post within the group to get feedback on hands, ask call-the-floor questions, or just discuss anything poker. Check out our 11 vintage Antioch logo designs on merchandise at antiochmagazine.com slash shop. You can buy t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, phone and laptop cases, coffee and drink mugs, and much more with your choice of Antioch Magazine, Antioch PokerCast, or Antioch PokerTour logos. If you have a hand of the week, listener spotlight, or call the floor submission, email us at podcast.antiochmagazine.com or post in the Antioch Fans Group on Facebook. We have a new O'Malley's move. You know, a little while ago, somebody contacted us and said, Oh, uh, Chris, there's something wrong with the show this week. Uh, O'Malley's move is missing. And I was like, what? And I had one of those heart palpitation moments, you know. So I get on my computer and I, I go and, and played it. And no, it's there. So I wrote him back and I said, no, it's there. He goes, no, it's not there. I, didn't, I don't know what happens. And I'm like, oh, wait. I'm sorry. <laughs> so you, what happened was he was a new listener. And he had picked us up when there was a complete O'Malley's move. One, uh, yes. one week, and then the second week, there was only one episode, and he's like, well, well, you know, so he's freaking out thinking we're completed every week. So I think we probably, over these last 15 years, could have done a better job of explaining every week that, you know, we play part one, give you a week to think about it, and then next week we'll replay part one and then give us our th- give you our thoughts and then play part two and wrap it up. But we just assume everyone listens to us all the time and you get a little complacent, you know. So this is a brand new O'Malley's move, which means we're going to play one part for you. <laughs> We're going to give you a week to think about it, and then next week, barring any you know, problems, we'll get back on and replay it for you again and then tell you the conclusion of what we think. So here comes part one. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week, we are back at our $1, $2, No Limit Omaha home game. 
To be clear, this game is pot limit pre-flop with an assumed completed small blind, and then changes to no limit after the flop. The game is six-handed, and we sit with 200, close to our starting stack. It is early in the night. The blinds post, the under the gun, and MP fold, and we are in the cutoff with the jack of spades, ten of diamonds, nine of diamonds, six of spades. This is a speculative hand, but it does have quite a bit of potential. We would like to try to buy the button. We make it $6 to go. The button does not like our plan and calls. This player is a solid Omaha player, but rarely raises pre-flop, choosing instead to outplay his opponents and build pots after the flop. He started the hand with 325. The small blind folds, the big blind calls, and we go to a flop. With roughly $20 in the pot, it comes down the ace of spades, eight of diamonds, seven of hearts. The big blind checks, and with our decent wrap, we're going to make a bet. Since all of our outs are nut outs, and we have emergency backdoor outs to a flush, and even a long shot straight flush, we make it $15 to go. The button thinks briefly before tripling our bet, making it $45 to go. Are we up against a set of eights or sevens here? The big blind folds, and we decide to call. With around 110 in the pot, the turn is the four of diamonds. We've just increased our outs, but have decreased some of our nut outs. What's the move? It's time for the AdvancedPokerTrading.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker trading site. And longtime listener Michael Paul is back. And uh, he says he's played two, three, no limit in one of his local card rooms. Uh, normal preflop raises vary between 15 and $30. Just depends on the player, really, he says. You're in the game for 500 we start the hand with 390 We've been pretty tight and haven't played much in the two hours we've been there. Uh, max buy is 400 so we've topped up once, and we are currently stuck 110 uh, the villain is somebody you've never played with. He's been at the table about an hour, so he's not seen uh, you play much for that time. You've seen him play a few hands. He's C-bet every time he's open pre-flop, uh, and you saw him call down a $60-ish all-in river bet into a 120-ish pot with third pair to win that hand. Wow. He knows wow. lots of people in the room, so he's a reg, uh, but you just we just haven't played with him. Okay. Uh, he's immediately to our left and the two-seat, and we're the nine-seat. Seat one is open. He starts the hand with 385, so we have him covered by a nickel. Uh, uh, under the gun and under the gun, plus one, both fold, and it's on us with the queen of diamonds, ten of diamonds. Uh, it's, it's not a good hand, although it's formerly Scott Long's favorite hand. Um, That's true, yes. You know, I don't know. I mean, I probably would play it just because I'm feeling good and... Uh, you know, I love playing poker, and I'm at the table having fun, and this is a lot of potential. But it's one of those hands where Scott likes to say, you got to hit the flop hard, and you got to be disciplined to know to get away from it if you just happen to hit a 10 or something. Don't don't get too invested in this hand. But if I'm going to play, I always try to play for a raise. If there are other limpers, I might limp. But since I'm first in, we got to give the illusion that we have a hand that's better than queen 10 suited. So... I'd probably raise, I think they said around 15 was usual, so I, I'd probably make it 15 to go. 15 to 30, so just depending on the player. Okay, so, so maybe 20, but probably 15. Uh, yeah, this all comes down to how confident you are with the, uh, your ability at the table, uh, what your perception of the table is. 
Uh, I have no problem raising with this hand. I also have no problem folding with this hand. Um, I have a big problem limping with this hand. Yeah. So um, if you if you feel like you're on top of your game, that you you are better than most of the players at the table or all the players, absolutely have to raise here. If you're in a little bit over your head here or you're just not having a good day, I think you, you take a pass on this and, and wait for something better. Yeah, that's good yeah, advice. That's good advice. Uh, okay, our hero um, uh, says he throws out a little $10 bet uh, because you want some money in the pot just in case and at least chase out the pure garbage hands. So, I don't know, kind of more like a limp to me, but I know what he's saying. But What's the just in case for? Is it because he hit a high hand or something? Because he might think about Royal Flush? Uh, just in case, what does that mean? Just in case, yeah. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of, right? Yeah, or bad beat. Yeah. Okay. And it was it was funny. I had a dinner uh, two nights ago with Elliot Schechter on Call the Floor, um, uh, Call the Floor, whatever you know, yeah. Mister Call the Floor. How's that? Savant. <laughs> yes, he's down here playing uh, some events, uh, and uh, and uh, you know he's having a great time running the Rivers uh, Casino up in New York now. Poker room up there, and uh, one of the funny stories he talked about is how. Uh, Somebody, there's only $29 a pot and you need to be 30 for the high hands. <laughs> Players argue with me. He's like, nope, that's, that's the rule. So you should have bet. Oh, you wow. the that big thing, you should have bet. So, yeah, so that might be the case here. Yep, yep. Um, all right. Uh, the villain raises to 30. Uh, button calls, small blind calls, and it's back on us. Well, now that there's a lot of people in the pot and you're getting pretty good odds to call because. That's 60, 90, plus your 10s, 100s. 100 in the pot to, you know, 20 to win 100, 5 to 1, whatever that is. So, I mean, you, you still want to see the flop now, you know, but you got to be disciplined, you know. You still want to see the flop because you got some money in there. There's a lot more money in there. I like to play suited connectors with a lot of money so I can draw. This isn't suited connector. It's a one-gapper, but in the same vein. So I'm going to call, but I, I'm going to be real – I'm going to be vigilant. I'm I'm not going to just – Oh, look, I've hit a queen, you know, and there's an ace on board. Or, oh, I've hit a 10, but it's, you know. No, I'm going to be pretty strict with my hands here, so, with my uh, betting and stuff. So let's call. Yeah, absolutely, exactly. This this turned into like kind of a set mining situation for me, even though we're not set mining. Right. Uh, I'm looking for, we got a lot of a lot of players in this hand, a uh, decent pot built here, um, but I, but I want to own a big hand so I can stack someone here. I don't want to hand-to-hand combat over 10s and queens and stuff. Um, all right, so our hero does call the extra 20 uh, with the specific plan to check-raise the villain if he see bets on the flop um, and if we hit something. Uh, interesting. Okay. Um, and so 120 in the pot, and the flop is the queen of spades, eight of diamonds, four of clubs, small blind checks to us. Well, this is interesting because we, you know, we hit top pair, but the guy who raised could have ace-queen. He could have kings. He could have aces. He could even have queen, queen. You know, why would he have raised if we raised? He re-raised us. So, you know, maybe this guy has a better hand than queens. Now, it's not saying he doesn't. He could have jacks. He could have done that with tens. He could have done with just ace, king. But I feel comfortable checking and letting him bet. And then I think we even talked, Michael was talking about check raising maybe. So I don't know if I would do that. But it's a good way to find out early if your hand's good. So maybe you check in with the idea of maybe check raising. Um, I, I like I like to bet when I hit my hands just because I don't want anybody getting a free look and hitting a random king seven, you know. So 
I, I, I like to bet here, but I can see checking too. Um, I probably would check just because that guy took a, uh, control of the hand and let him see what he does. If he checks again, it's either a set or he missed. Uh, you know what I mean? I, or, I mean, or an overpair. But if he checked, I think he's going to bet his overpair. I mean, I mean if, if it got to him and he bet, he would bet his overpair. If he checked, I would think he's missed it completely and he's scared or he's got a set. So then you'd have to sort of do a coin flip with that. But I'm going to check. Yeah, this is a tough spot because we just talked about how we want to hit this hard and, and this was not hard enough for me. So based on that, I can't justify betting here. Um, uh, that being said, I want to kind of see how the hand plays out. I mean, I'm not ready to throw out my pair of queens with a medium kicker. Um, so I think I have to check here. I'm not so sure I'm on board with the C-bet strategy here. Um, but again, this is a player in the game, watching the game, feeling out the other players. And, um, it's generally not a bad strategy to, um, check raise there and find out where you are. Um, I, I just kind of hope that we'd hit a little harder. I feel a bit better if there are two diamonds out there, um, than the one diamond. But, uh, but yeah, I'm going to check. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do yet, but. Okay, but uh, I kind of want to see what what happens because we have uh, three more people to act after us. I mean, the small blind still gets to act if there's a bet. Right. All right. Uh, <clears throat> um, here it says we hit top pair, backdoor flush, straight draw, and we told ourselves we would check Gray's uh, if he see bet, so we check. Bill and bet seventy five, and the button and small blind both folds back to us, and we're heads up. See, this is when it sucks because if you're going to raise, it's basically you only had 390 in front of you. If you raise, you usually do the 3x thing, which is you know 225, which is more than half of what you have. And you know, what I mean, now you're screwed because yeah. this is why I don't play cards like this. Yeah, yeah. Because you you're if you check raise here. Yeah, if you had ace queen and you hit your queen, you'd be comfortable check grazing or you'd be comfortable just betting out. But when it's queen ten. You lose to all kinds of kickers. You lose to overpairs, you know, which even ace-queen loses to overpairs, but you're more confident with top-top. Um, uh, and if you call, I mean, I don't think it looks like you're drawing. So maybe you call and then check again, and then I don't know. I, this is tough, you know. Um, I mean, I like pot control where you're just sort of keeping it down. But what's going to happen on the turn if a blank comes? He's going to put the hammer down. Now you're going to make a decision for your whole stack anyway. So why waste seventy five? You know, uh, either either do your move now, or fold. And uh, no one's folding top pair, so it's either call or raise. And if you call, and then the guy shoves on the turn, you're gonna be like, eh. So, you know, it's either fold or shove. I think it's weird. I know it's gonna sound funny, but I can't. I can't yeah. imagine calling right. It's if I only two options here, because if you call, that's now two seventy in the pot. So the only bet, legitimate bet on the next uh, round is what you have left, right? Right, it's what you have right. left. So um, now, obviously, you can still fold at that point, I guess. But, um, it, you know, it, the money's going to get in one way or the other. So you might as well get it in now. And then if he's sitting on aces or kings here, um, he's probably not going to fold. But, but a shove here will make it very difficult on him, right? Yeah. So this is where you need to put that pressure on. This is another weird thing. We talked about this is like handle week last week too, where understanding your stack size and what's going to happen with, with different plays. Um, and I think this is one, if you take a deep breath and you think about it and realize that 
you know, any raise here has to be a show because otherwise, what else are you going to do? So uh, if you're comfortable and you think that, you know, either you have the best hand or you can uh, push them off this hand, um, then I, I think you have to show. Right. You say I, I can't. I can't imagine just calling. So if I'm going to shove, it's two twenty. First, it would be two twenty-five on to raise. That's what normally would be at two thirty. We took thirty off the initial three ninety we had. So that's three sixty. So you take your two thirty off that. You have one thirty left. You know that you're not folding one thirty for any bet on the after that. So why not shove and make it more, you know, uh, intimidating to the other person? Because you want them to let the hand go if you're behind, obviously. Yeah. Or you want them to fold a hand that might get there or something. So I, I just, I'm going to shove, I, which sucks because I didn't want to play queen 10 in the first place. And I want to be really vigilant about it. And look what I did. I ended up calling the 30, hitting it. And now I'm looking at myself, put all my money in with queen 10. It's terrible. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is why you don't play these cards. All right. Right here it says there's a 195 in the pot. We push out two. 55 total for raise of 180, leaving us 121 behind. Okay, so this is what we mentioned, right? So that 121 is going in next time. Why not just put it in right now? Yes. Uh, all right. Uh, he says, with this raise and this amount uh, behind, I'm pretty much telling him I'm committed. But he uh, should have committed. <laughs> and he's going in on the next street. With your raise, uh, with a raise, there's 450 in the pot. He has to call 155 to win 450 or 2.9 to 1. Uh, it's funny. He tanks, like really tanks. All right now, this is where I really think we should have showed. But yeah. anyhow, yeah. Uh, well, we just stare at the board. He checks his hand twice while he tanks. He has to deal with a pull in the 75 so he can see what's left. And he even says he wants to see how much he's saving himself if he calls. He says it's possible I could have pocket eights. I'm thinking in my head I could also have pocket fours too, so why isn't that an option? Pocket queens aren't likely since I raised so little and only called out of position Finally, he seemingly reluctantly calls. Pot has 630 in it, and again, we have 121 remaining. Turn is the nine of hearts. So our board is queen of spades, eight of diamonds, four of clubs, nine of hearts, and we are first act. Well, that helps us, too. So I'm shoving. I mean, Jack now wins us the hand, and top pair still might be good. This guy might have jacks and not believe us. Uh, he could have kings, um, and he's wondering if we have a set. So, But I, I don't see myself checking and then... You know he's going to shove if we check because he's going to think we're nervous and we didn't want the call. So I might as well just put it in there and get him one last time to think about it. Maybe he missed his draw somehow. He made all this with I don't know nine ten or something. I don't know, hit a nine or I don't know jack ten and now he's made it straight. I doubt he kept all that money in there for a gutter. So might as well put it in the middle and if we need it, we have a jack on the end to win. And this is really the problem here, right? Because I can't imagine any hand at all, any legitimate hand here folding for 121 now. And 630s in the pot. So that'd be 750. <laughs> you have to put 121 in. And uh, we hadn't covered by a nip though, so a little less, right? But yeah. Um, yeah. So I can't see anybody uh, not folding here. So, and we had him tanking, and he said, like, really tanking, right? So had we shoved it all in there, he probably would have let it go. So now the fact that he's going to call, now obviously if we have him beat here or we catch him on the river, we're going to be happy he calls. But uh, I don't think we want this call now, and I think we've we priced ourselves into giving him a call, right? Yes, yeah, so, so weird. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, if we end up losing this hand, I think it's because we didn't put that extra 121 in on that uh, flop bet. 
let's see. Uh, all right. Uh, so our hero says 10 Jack gets there, 8 9 Suda gets there, flush draw on hearts is now an option. I really didn't think uh, there was any car that would come in on the turn except an Acer King that was going to keep me from shoving regardless. Uh, and I was already committed anyway since it now six times my stack in the pot. Of course, there's also six times his stack too. Uh, we shove. He actually tanks again. He's really thinking about it. And finally, he calls. River is an offsuit king. Uh, so our final board is Queen of Spades, eight of diamonds, four of clubs, nine of hearts, and offsuit king. Uh, we turn over hand, and he tables the king of hearts, eight of hearts. Oh, you got to be kidding. And see, that's why you, you when, when you make that extra bet, I can't believe you call with an eight and a king. That's... That's just sick. I mean, it, this is a horrible player. I mean, uh, first of all, what's he doing in the hand with the king eight? We talked about this before. Uh, random? Didn't I say that too? I said a random king seven or something. Yeah. Right earlier. Turns out he just had a pair. That's why he played it. But first of all, betting seventy five, and he was the one who raised to thirty after we raised to ten with king eight of hearts. Which wasn't that a former Scott Long hand too? Any suited king? And he sued the king. Yep. Yeah. Lost a lot of money on full yeah. tilt with that. Yep. Yeah. I don't know how I remember that. But uh, then he bets 75 with middle pair. And we raise him. And he still calls. Then we shove. And he's got, at that point, second pair. And then he hits a three-outer. And, and Well, three, five-outer. That's just insane. Just insane. Maybe he thought that nine of hearts... Gave him a flush draw and he wasn't paying well, attention. Well, I began to wonder because our hero says a flush draw on hearts is now an option. So I wonder if he missed one of the suits because that would make a difference if it was the queen of hearts or four of hearts. Didn't he say not an option? Uh, no, he says and a flush draw on hearts is now an option. Oh, now an option. So maybe that's yeah. it. Maybe the guy did yeah. that because he had a heart. So that's a little different. So, yeah, if you've got middle pair... Or second pair, or actually third pair, no, third, third pair, right. which you called out before, right? And a flush draw. Now it's a little harder to get away from at that point. But on the flop, it's very easy to get away from with that shove, right? Right. I mean, he, he really can't. I mean, he's talking out loud about set of eights and, and stuff like that when he's sitting there with one of the eights. I mean, come on, whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I to be honest, that, that's where we we, fall, uh, where we lost. Now, obviously, we can criticize this guy's play, but um, but we we put him to a test on the flop. We just didn't put him to the right test. No, or the most difficult test. Yeah, if he had the hearts on the turn and we shoved, I still don't know if he folds. He, he still might fold, but I don't know if he folds. Um, but the call in the end was just, you know. I mean, if it had it hearts, is the only reason he calls because he can't call its second bottom pair. He just can't. Yeah. So or third overall yeah. pair, or whatever. And our hero went on to say he picked up flush outs on turn uh, when we effectively committed on the flop. So yeah, so there must have been another okay. heart out there. Okay. Uh, yeah. So our hero says uh, he looked at the odds to see where he was in the hand pre-flop, uh, assuming heads up. Uh, we were a, he was fifty-five percent favorite. Uh, clearly, he was just raising to establish strength with a reasonably crappy hand, which is fine. Uh, he was on, you know, on the button. So, I mean, this, I mean, in the tournament, that's a good play. I think cash game, I'm still not entirely sure. But, you know, he's trying to own that button. So, nothing wrong with that. It's how he played afterwards, I think. Yeah. Uh, sure enough, you see a pretty big, hoping to take it down. Uh, but on the flop, I jumped to a 76% lead in the hand. Uh, he calls 155 more. He's only getting 2.9 to one odds as a four to one dog. Not necessarily the worst call, but still not correct either. 
character based stuff, I would never complain about the call. Absolutely. Um, on the turn, he is totally correct to call, and he proved only a 32% dog from a 25% uh, dog. He got his car in the river, and I lost. He's like, my only option is going in all in on the check race, and I did think about it. I also figured I'm committing myself, and he called. He, he's committing himself anyway, and he's willing to call 155 more. No one's going in. I don't think it would change much. Uh, was this where I went wrong? Yes, it is. Where my vehicle floats around since he got the money in bed. I'm happy to get there. I mean, I, I guess I get where his thinking is. But you're also assuming that player is thinking it that way as well, too. I think most players, even in 2-3, uh, they're looking at the bit in front of them. They're not thinking about that next bet. Um, so, I mean, that bet in front of them was going to be 400 versus 300 or whatever it was. Uh, that makes a bigger difference than... I mean, obviously, that he made that call not realizing that he was going to have to put that money in, which I guess is our hero's point, right? But yeah. um, you, you can't assume players are going to make the same smart decisions you are. So Yeah, the flop is the most offensive thing. He bet 75, which is fine because he had taken the lead in the hand pre-flop, and he just said, hey, I hit middle pair. I'll see bet here and see if I can take it down. And when, he, when we raise him 3x to 230, that's the big faux pas there. That guy needs to get out of that hand. He needs to get lucky now to win. Sure, he picked up the flush draw on a turn, but no one thinks runner-runner is a reason to call a 3x raise of my bet with middle pair. No. You know? yeah. So that's the biggest offense right there. After that, then it's like, eh, it's pretty standard that he picked up a flush draw and has a pair and an overpair, an overcard. You know, I might as well call this 120 to win 1,000 or whatever. So, But just shocking. This guy needs to be in our home game. <laughs> right. Right. All right, I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Lawrence. We'll see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.